landing the plane today. We're finishing up, finally, uh, this six-part series called Off the Chain, Choosing Freedom Every Day. We've been studying this book of Galatians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, um, because the Galatians, he had planted a church. Uh, They were a bunch of Gentiles, planted the church, went in. People were coming to faith, and then these Judaizers, Jewish people, were coming in and really turning them from a place of faith back to works. They were trying to earn something that was free. And so Paul was upset. He's upset that they're, you, you earned this. You didn't earn this. This was freely given to you. Grace was freely given to you, and now you're trying to earn this thing. And so Paul's writing this book uh, to the Galatians, encouraging them to come back to this identity that they find in Christ. Their hope is found in Christ. Their righteousness is found in Christ. They didn't earn it. It was given freely. And so for the past six weeks, we've been, past five weeks, we've been looking at this idea of what is it to, to be living in grace? How do we live in grace and not in works? How do we go to this place where, where it's not about duty, but it's about delight? It's not I have to, but it's I want to. Come on, have you been in a church where it, you felt like you have to? How many you know all you're doing is looking at your watch, waiting until you can go to go eat. You know what I mean? Because the idea of of Christianity, really the gospel-centered, is this idea that God comes in us, gives us new life, gives us new identity, gives us new hope, gives us a new righteousness, and now we have new desires, and it goes from an ought to to a want to, from a have to to a get to. Y'all with me? And so that's what, listen, if church isn't fun and you don't want to, let's close the doors. Y'all with me here? Let's have some fun, let's want to, let's get to, let's do this, because at the end of the day, listen, if this is what it's like on, he- on earth, man, I- how is heaven going to be where I have to? Like, it's a want to, it's a get to, it's a I love to, and so that's been all of Galatians for the most part. We've looked at our relationship with God as not a master, but as a father. We've looked at grace. Uh, last week, we looked at this idea of living in the spirit versus living in the flesh and this war within, that we have this war that's within. And today, we are looking at this key question. Here's the key question we're going to ask today. How does the gospel, how does all that we've been learning so far about living in grace and living in the spirit, how does that impact my relationships? How does that impact this church How does it impact that? So that's what we're going to look at. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning. I thank you that you speak, and I pray that we would have ears to hear, heart to receive, and faith to respond in what you speak to us. Lord, we thank you, God, of what you're going to do today, the lives that you're going to save, the people that are going public today in baptism, God, we, we celebrate all of that. That's all you. You get all the credit for all that. We love you today with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. You know, in, in culture, there are unspoken rules that govern our behavior. And, and, and there's things that, it's not said vocally. Usually nobody says anything about it. But it's these unspoken rules that govern the way that we behave. Uh, and let me give you, for example, when you pull up to a four-way stop, you're going to pull up to a four-way stop, and someone pulls up to that four-way stop at the exact same time. There is an unspoken rule that says, know you first. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Know you first. Now, how many of you have ever been in the standoff of the know you first? No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. 
you like flashing lights, honking. Come on. Okay, let's go. And then how many know after you have awaited the certain duration of time period of courtesy, you're like, okay, me first. And so you go, and as soon as you go, yeah, y'all know exactly how this works. They go. And it happens every time. Y'all know what I mean? You're trying to be courteous and nice and no, 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 no. And it, and it happens. But there's this unspoken rule of just, no, 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 you first, you first. Same way when you come to a door, okay, hopefully you have been treated and, 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 and taught this, as, especially as young men, that when you come to a door and you're the first to open the door and there's people coming behind you, you open the door, right? You open the door. No, you first. Okay, now here's an unspoken rule. When there's a double door, okay, when there's a double door and you open the door and they go through, what is the unspoken rule? The unspoken rule is that they open the door for you and say, no, you first, right? Okay, that's the, that's the unspoken rules that we have that's going on. Let's, let's, let's see what some other ones. Um, when you're in a group of people, maybe in the car or you're just maybe right now in church and you're sitting and there's a group of people that, that you're there and you bust out a fresh pack of gum, there is an unspoken rule that you say, would you like some? Okay, that's an unspoken rule. Would you, would you like some? And if, if you know they have bad breath, then you definitely need to say, how about you take some? You know, okay. Fat people do that to me. Why don't you take one? <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I should be offended or... Okay, so there's that. Because you don't... Listen, you don't... If, if you want to be sly about it, turn and just do like one of these. And do, do like that, just like you're touching the lips or something, okay? But don't just like bust out a thing and then eat it and then just put it back in your purse. And everybody's like, what the heck? I mean, I got bad breath too. I mean, what's going on? I mean, you know what I mean? So, so if, there's a, if it's a gum, you do it. Now, here's the, here's the unspoken rule, though. If it's chapstick, don't share it, okay? Keep your chapstick to yourself, especially the glossy kind, okay? How about, how about shaking hands? There's an unspoken rule that, that if, you have, if, if you're going to shake hands with somebody, I remember I did this a while back. I, I shook somebody's hand. And, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm shaking their hands, and then we're talking. And then I'm looking at them, and they're like, you know, like, like water's coming out of their eyes, and they're kind of like doing this all the time. And I'm like, man, how you been? And they're like, man, I've just kind of been kind of sick. And I'm like, I'm like, like looking at my hand. Like what is, what is contaminated all over my hand right now? I'm trying to find my wife because she's the Lysol and the, uh, and the Germex queen. And so, you know what I mean? Like, there's an unspoken rule that if, you, if you're sick, don't shake a hand. You know, you can just say, you know what, I've been sick. And I'd be like, okay, that's all right. I'm all right. You know, well, maybe fist bump or something or heel kick or something. I don't know. <laughs> but we ain't shaking hands. And the worst is, like, is when you shake someone's hands and it's wet. And they're like, oh, man, I just, I just washed my hands. There's no paper towels, you know. I'm like, you could tell me that. There's no paper towels. You don't have to shake my hand, okay? That is a, that is a no. You don't do that. That's an, that's, but that's an unspoken rule. Nobody, nobody says that, but it's an, it's an unspoken rule. The same way, okay, oblige me here, ladies. Let me talk to the men real quick. When you go into the bathroom, okay, and there is a selection of four or five different urinals that are there, and someone is already there, st- st- you know, going about it, the, the unspoken rule is you don't pick the one right next to them. Right, guys? Furthest away. Furthest away. Second unspoken rule. You don't talk. Okay? 
no talking. Eyes forward. You can read whatever's on the wall. You can whistle. I don't care. But eyes forward. You don't look my way. I don't look your way. We take care of what we came in for, and we get out. We wash our hands, and then after there's paper towel, we shake hands maybe and talk. Right? That's how it works. Ladies, y'all don't, y'all don't understand this because y'all go in like flocks of herds of geese into the bathroom. You're talking there. You're talking while you're going on. You're talking while you wash your hands. Guys, no. Not at all. Unspoken rule. We need a buffer zone here. Some of you are doing this here at church. You look for the seat that's got the buffer zone between you and the other person. You're like, I'm not sitting next to them. I mean, like, I need at least one. Put my purse on. We need this, it's an unspoken rule, these buffer zones of things that's going on. And so, so we have these unspoken rules that kind of govern the behavior of what we do. The reason I bring that up is because in Galatians chapter 6, we're going to see this idea of kind of not an unspoken rule, but really a spoken rule. And for us who are now out of captivity, for the past four weeks, we've been trying to get you to break free from so many of the religious and, and, and legalism and trying to get you into this relationship of grace. And now that we're kind of out of that bondage and we're free, there is a rule that now governs us as a free people. And Galatians chapter 6 is going to bring us into this idea of this unifying law, this unifying rule that governs our behavior. How many of you um, as kids watched or read uh, The Jungle Book? How many of you have watched or read The Jungle Book? How many of you have kids and they've watched The Jungle Book or whatever? Uh, Rudyard Kipling uh, is the one who wrote The Jungle Book, and he's got an actual, in, in some of the writing that he does, he's got this rule called The Rule of the Jungle. And today I'm calling this message the rule of the jungle. Because the rule of the jungle, according to Rudyard Kipling, is this idea that every man is for himself. Survival of the fittest. You got to be strong, kill or be killed. And, and, and his idea, you know, when, when, when you watch the Jungle Book, is this idea, like, you've, you've got to be the strongest. You've got to be the greatest. If you want to survive in this world, you've got to be the strongest. You've got to be the greatest. You've got to look out for me, for I. And that is, that's, that's the rule of the jungle. But now that we have been set free and we live in a new jungle, a new kingdom, there is a new rule that God gives us, and it's a governing rule of the jungle. And this one rule of the jungle is love. It's love. The Judaizers were all making Christians be captive to rules again, and, and Paul is coming in here saying, no, it's no longer about rules, it's about love. It's about love. And I want to show you because Jesus actually said this himself. Look at, the, look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Here's the new rule, okay? You're free people. Here's your new rule. The new rule is that, that you love one another. Just as I have what? What is it? Come on, we're going to let you get interactive here. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. There it is twice in one verse. And by this, by what? By love. By your love for one another. Watch this. By your love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, here's the truth. All of us in here will be known for something. 
You know, you got different friends and they're all known for something like, oh yeah, that's the funny guy, or hey, yeah, that's the extremely creative guy, or hey, yeah, that's the, you know, extremely smart guy. And if there's anything that God wants us as Christians to be known for, that when people interact with us, when we leave their presence, the one thing that God wants us to be known for is, that is a loving guy. That is a loving girl. He wants us to be known for love because when we love one another, we show the world who our boss is. We show him who our king is. We show them who we're in love with. And the only way that you're going to survive in this new jungle, in this new kingdom, in this new life that God has called you to live is you've got to have love, love for God, love for people, love for the world. Love for his church. we got to be people of love. And the only way that we can be people of love is when we first come back to this identity issue that we are loved. You and I are loved people. And because we're loved, we can love. So Galatians chapter 6 is going to give us, Paul's going to give us three practical ways. I love Paul because he always starts out in the beginning of his books as very doctrinal. You need to know this, that God loves you. God does this, God does this. And he always starts his books out with what God does towards you. And then he always wraps his books up, books with, now that God's done all this for you, this is what you need to do. And Galatians chapter six is extremely practical. And he's going to show us three practical scenarios in which we love People. How can we love people? And Paul's going to walk us through that. So this is what he says. Number one, we're going to answer three questions and how this applies to how we love people. How many of you know that church is messy? How many of you know that? If you don't know that, you haven't been in here long enough. Church is messy. And, 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 and God has given us an incredible amount of freedom. I mean, now we're living by grace. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer bound to rules. Now we got all this crazy amount of freedom. And how many know when you got a crazy amount of freedom, you also have the ability to mess things up? Because now you're free to do whatever you want to do. And grace has given us freedom to kind of do whatever we want to do. And, and, and a lot of times now we take that grace and we abuse it and we misuse it. And now we mess things up. We mess things up in our lives. And, and, and sin is inevitable. And so here's the first question that we got to ask. How do we love the fallen? How do we love the fallen? The answer is to restore gently. We'll look at this in, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Look, at, look what it says. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone's caught in the transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, notice what he's saying. He's, he's saying, if you're caught in a transgression. Now, let me just tell you what that doesn't mean and what it does mean. It doesn't mean that you got busted, like, oh, you're caught. That does, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean like you were caught red-handed doing something you should have been doing. That's not what this means. What this actually means is those who are caught in transgression is literally like a trap. Someone who has fallen into a trap, fallen into a pit, fallen into something, and it's so destructive that they can't get themselves out of it. And notice he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to the world. He's not talking about, hey, you know, all these worldly people, they're caught in transgressions. No, we already know that. He's actually talking about us in the church as Christians. When we fall, 
when we do things that we shouldn't do, when we sin, when we break God's commands, when we do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but like Paul said last week, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And there's this idea that we are caught. It's almost like someone who fell into a pool that doesn't know how to swim and they're drowning. So here's what he's saying. How do we as Christians respond to people when they're drowning? And this is what he says. Those who are, look what he says. He says, those who are spiritual. Now, here's the deal. As soon as you hear that, I know what happens in your mind. You immediately think, well, I'm not that spiritual. Right? Isn't that what you think immediately? Well, I'm not that spiritual. He's not talking about like varsity Christians. He's not talking about like super Christians, you know, those guys who like really memorize the Bible and know how to do stuff and, you know, those super spiritual people. No, no, no. This is what he's talking about. Those who are spiritual are literally those who walk in the Spirit. We just talked about this last week. For those who walk in the Spirit, those who are in step with the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit, you are spiritual. And so this is what he tells us to do. This is the command. If you see somebody drowning... Don't just walk by and go, I'll pray for you. Hope it goes well. He says, no, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, you may say oftentimes, and I, and I, and I would bet this would be the case for many of us, when we look at brothers or sisters in our church that are struggling, that are drowning, that are hurting, this is what we normally say. That's not my problem. That's their problem. That's not my problem, but can I tell you, as brothers and sisters in Christ and as members of this church, it is your problem. It is your problem. It's one of the things we love about, about the Marines and Army and the military service is when we go out in the war, I got your back, and if you fall, know that I'm not leaving you. I'm going to throw you on my back, and we're going to get back home. That is the thing that we love about our military, but so often in church, somebody falls and we said, see you later. <laughs> you got to work that out yourself. But Paul is confronting the Galatians and saying, man, when you see somebody fall, you go and you initiate restoration because love doesn't ignore wrong and hope that it goes away. Love doesn't turn its back on people when they need us the most. Love doesn't stay silent in the face of things that are going wrong. Love restores and initiates. Now notice it says restore him. It doesn't say condemn him. It doesn't say lecture him. It doesn't say judge him. It says restore him. And let me say this. There's no better way to show what's in your spirit than how you respond when a fellow Christian is in the flesh. Yeah, that was really good. Let me back that up real quick. There's, I'll preach to myself. There's no better way to show what's in your spirit then how you respond to other Christians when they're in the flesh. You want to know what's in your spirit? How do you respond when people fall? Oh, at least it wasn't me. <laughs> oh, I knew that was going to happen. Man, they, they, they had it coming. They had it coming. It was all. How do you respond when people around you fall? Do you feel better about yourself? Do you look for a brick to throw? Or do you look for a bandage and a Band-Aid to, to help? See, here's, as, as people who are in the Spirit, as people full of love, we should have grace, not gossip. And let me tell you how gossip works. Hey, I got a prayer request. 
Y'all pray for such and such. Their marriage is just really struggling right now. And we use it as gossip more than grace. We need to love, not lecture. We need to help, not judge. We need to restore, not condemn. And this shows that you are full of the Spirit when you can do those things. We restore them. And the Bible says in this verse that you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So let me say this. It says if anyone is caught in any transgression, any transgression, any transgression can be restored. Any transgression can be restored. Some of you need to hear this. Any transgression can be restored. Any transgression can be restored. Any transgression, any transgression. Hey, what if I deny God and get swallowed by a well? That's all right. God will puke it up, restore you, and let you go preach in Nineveh, okay? Hey, what if, what if I'm sleeping around with other women and I kill, I kill somebody else's wife? That's okay. You'll write Psalm 51 and sing a worship song about it and repent to the Lord, and God will say that you are a man after God's own heart. Hey, what, what if I kill Christians? Well, guess what? You know, one day you'll plant a church, and then you'll write a letter to those churches, and you'll encourage them, and you'll encourage the, the church of Jennings because of what you do, because any transgression can be restored. Amen. The Bible is full. I know, I know you, you don't think it's that awesome because you don't think that you're that bad. See, you don't, you don't think grace is that awesome because you didn't think you didn't need that much of it. But when you understand that you transgressed against God, that you, you trespassed against him, and he loved you, forgave you, welcomed you back into his home, you realize the free grace that you gave. When your sin is bitter, the grace of God is sweet. But when we think we're, just, we're really good people, we just had a bad day. No, 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 no. You're a sinner and you're a hot mess. Finally, someone would tell you the truth about yourself. Welcome to our Savior's Church. This idea of restore gently is the idea of a doctor resetting a broken bone. I shared this in, in week two of our series, and I'll, I'll share it again because we have so many other new people. My, my uh, oldest son used to always have his arm get popped out of socket. And one day I was lifting him up. I lifted him up over my shoulder, and all of a sudden I heard a, Aah! I'm like, what did I do? And I, I get down, and this was before I knew that it was out of socket. So I'm like looking at him, like, what's going on? What's going on? We go to the emergency room. They do an x-ray. Nothing's wrong. And they're like, we don't know what's going on. So we go home, and, and, and he's just continually screaming. And we go home, and he sleeps, and he wakes up the next day, and he's perfectly fine. And I get back. We were on vacation, and I get back to my house, and my, my mom said, I, I call my mom said, hey. And she, she's asking me what's going on. I told her what happened. She said, you pulled his arm out of socket. I'm like, what? She's like, you pulled his arm out of socket. I said, oh, my goodness, I felt so bad. Well, a couple weeks later, I was, you know, as fathers do, you grab your kids and you swing them around like this. And I'm swinging them around like this, and all of a sudden I hear, and, I, and then I hear, Aah! and I'm like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> so I call my mom, and my mom says, hey, I'm going to video something, I'll send it to you. So she videos herself showing me how to reset it. And so pretty much what it is is that you take, you take their hand yeah, come here, Wally. Let me see. You take their hand and you grab it. No, let's turn around. Uh, yeah, we'll turn this way. And so, <laughs> so you take one hand here and you take one hand here and you push. Try that with a two-year-old. That looks real good. 
And so sure enough, she's like, you got to do it. And so I'm like, I'm doing this. And as I'm trying to push and push, it won't go in. And he's screaming more. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> so finally, I give it one little final push and it clicks in and uh, he's all good. He's all better now. But this idea of restoring is this idea of resetting a broken bone. It's also the description of when the fishermen would mend their nets and restore their nets where there were tears and rips. And this idea of we've got to restore people, we've got to reset them back. Which means the only way you restore people is if you bring it back to what it was originally meant to be. Which is we were originally meant to walk with God, be in communion with God, be full of the Spirit. And so we're trying to help people get back to that place. So we're here to help restore people back. Now, yet again, we're talking about love, and what does this have to do with love? Because love should guide not only what we do, but love should guide how we do it. See, because you can do the right thing in the wrong way and do more harm. You know, as husbands, maybe this is just an issue that I deal with. I just feel like I'm always right. 90%. And so there have been times where Lindsay will be sharing her heart with me of what's going on and just, you know, just pouring her heart out. And I'll be like, now let me tell you what you need to do, okay? So you need to do this and this and this and this. And And how many of you know, like, no no wives usually go, thank you, babe. So appreciate the list of things I need to do. Like, how many of you know, like, this doesn't work right? And so usually I'll go, well, you just need to suck it up. It's not that big of a deal. Who cares what people think? Okay, so, yeah, all of a sudden I'm like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. So what I said was true. She does. It doesn't matter what people think. What I said was true. But how I said it was not. Y'all, y'all with me? So we can go to try to restore people, and if our attitude is not right, what you try to do to help actually hurt more. It hurt more. And so that's why he says, restore gently. How many know gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit? And so before I try to restore somebody, I need to check my spirit. Do, do I want to just try to restore somebody so I can just go, yeah, I did that. I'm the hero. I help save. Or do I, do I genuinely want to, to see somebody restored for the glory of God and for their life and for their marriage? This, look, look, look what he says, continuing in verse 1. He says, brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual gentleness. Now watch what he says. Keep watch on yourself lest, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself unless you're going to be tempted. Let me say this. The sin that you and I struggle with always looks uglier on other people. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? The sin that you and I struggle with always looks uglier on other people. Always looks uglier on other people. And so we have this uncanny ability to spot everybody else's sin and yet have the non-ability to see it in ourselves, And usually when you can spot it so well in other people, it's usually because that's something you're dealing with. That's usually why. 
And so he says here, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so you will always approach another brother or sister gently if we can always be aware of, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God. Because let's be honest, we are all a hot mess. But Jesus loves us anyways, and we're in this journey together, right? So the fact that you struggle, welcome to our Savior's church. We all do. Half of the crowd won't act like they do, but they do. The other half will be honest, maybe a little too honest. But we all struggle. We all have, we all have our weaknesses, and we all have the, the ability to, to, to flip right over to flesh. And we all, come on, me too, huh? You too? Me too. You struggle with anger? Me too. You, you yelled at your kids this morning? Hey, me too. Great. You, you having a hard day? We all are. You had a tough week? You didn't trust God with your finances? Me too. Same. We all, we all struggle. And so, so this idea of loving people and restoring them, we need to remind ourselves, hey, I, the reason I want to restore you is because me too. I was there too. The reason I come in, hey, and you know, this is how you know you're truly free. When what God broke, broke you free of, you're able to go now and help people get free of that. So if, you, if God brought you free from drugs, guess what? Now you go back in and you help other people get free of drugs. God restored your marriage, you go in and you're helping other people get restored in their marriage. That's how you know you're free is when you can go back into those environments which you once were a slave and now you're free and now you can go in and minister to those people and help bring freedom in their life. So we restore them gently. The second thing is this. How do we love the burdened? How do we love the burden? The answer, we help humbly. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 now. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what's the law of Christ? It's the rule of the jungle. It's the law of the jungle, which is love. So when we bear one another's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is love. Now notice it says this, bear one another's burdens. How many of you know that some burdens are easy and some burdens go on and on and on and on and on and on? And that burden can be financial, it can be emotional, it can be spiritual. I mean, a burden is, I love the kind of the ambiguity in this verse, and normally I don't like ambiguity in, 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 in the Bible, but there's a lot of ambiguity here. Bear one another's burdens. What burdens? Just burdens. Well, what's a burden? It's a burden. Okay, okay. If it's a burden, then you need to help with it. Burden the burdens. But let me say this. You can't help with a burden unless you're close enough to the person that's burdened. Which means I got to get close to people in order to actually see what's going on in their life to actually be able to help. You know, as a pastor of this campus, I, as I was reading this, this verse this week, I got so much delight because of the fact of, I see this played out and worked out in our church in so many different ways. And I'm filled with gratitude at what God's doing among us because I believe if there's any part of this chapter that I think we do well, I think we do this well. Um, it, 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 it never fails that if somebody in our church is in the ER and I go and finally get a chance to visit them, that when I walk into the ER, there's probably not at least four to five to six other people from OSC already there before I am. <laughs> 
It's amazing. It's amazing to see the people in here that cut grass and cook meals and help raise money and clean houses and, and do things. I mean, I am the byproduct of so much love that's been poured out for our family. And there's so many of you in here that have been on the, the receiving end of a church that says we're going to help pick up a burden that seems so much. Now, let me tell you this. There is a difference between a burden and then if you go and you read in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, how many know that can seem contradictory? You got to help people's burdens, but you need to be able to bear your own load. Okay, like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. That seems weird. Well, there's a difference between a burden and a load. A burden is something that you can't carry all by yourself. A load is like a backpack. You got that. You got that. So a burden is something that comes onto you that you just can't do it anymore. You, you, there's no way that you can, you can keep carrying this, but a load is something that, that you can carry. Now let me, I'll, I'll put it in a couple of ways that you can maybe flesh this out. So God has called me to lead my wife, to love my wife, to lead my family. That is the load that he's put on me. You will not lead my family. You will not stand before God for how my family was led. I will. That's my load. It's the same reason why when we send your kids off into OSC Kids and then, and then we say, hey, listen, here's what they love. And then during the week, we post things on Facebook for our, our OSC Kids. If you haven't checked it out, you need to go check it out. We post things on our OSC Kids Facebook to help you to have these conversations in your home, to help you learn how to talk to your kids about God. Why do we do that? Because you are the spiritual nurturers of your family. You're the spiritual nurturers of your children's faith, not the church. The church is not responsible to teach your kids about God. You are. The church just comes alongside and helps you and just adds to what you're already doing. Because one day when you stand before God, the church won't be held responsible for your children. You will. I know I don't get a lot of amens on that one. But it's your responsibility for your marriage, for your children. That's the load that you have to go to work and, and to do, put in the time that you need to put in. That's your load. That's, that's the things that you're called to do. But the burden... There's things that come in our lives that are burdens, financial burdens, medical burdens that come at cars that break down, houses that have problems. There's maybe, maybe you need help in a relationship and people can come along and help and those are burdens and they can do it with you. But your burden doesn't need to be my burden. I'll help you with your burden, but it doesn't need to become just mine. And what most people want to do is they want to dump their burden and have other people carry their burdens. But the Bible says here for us to bear one another's burden, to bear, literally it's like a, a yoke and an oxen, two oxen paired together, and that yoke is put on top, and they both are carrying the weight. And for us as a church, we want to help people carry the weight. Now, if we're honest, though, most churches, most Christians are not viewed this way as helping with burdens. And here's why. He actually gives us the, the answer in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. So why is it that we don't help other people and bear burdens? You know the, the answer? Pride. Pride. When you think you're something that you're not, you're deceived. Now, here's, here's why I think it's so oftentimes we don't even see burdens and don't help with burdens. You know why? Because it's impossible to spot anybody else's need when all you're consumed is with yours. 
The reason why you can't help anybody else is because this is your mentality. What about my needs? What about my burdens? What about my stuff? What about? The Bible says this, he who waters, he himself will be watered. If you have a need, you should help somebody else in need. (laughs) I know it seems really weird. Like, I, I, I don't feel like I can give anything. I don't feel like I can help with anything. I promise you, you can, because God says when we look outside of ourselves and we help other people, that God meets our needs. And some of, the, some of the reason why we can't help other people in their burdens is because we're so consumed with our own burdens. And I, I promise you, life is more miserable when it's all about you. <laughs> it's miserable. Your wife's miserable. Your kids are definitely miserable. Everybody's miserable when the world revolves all around you. It's miserable. But when you learn the new rule of the jungle, that it's love, and it's giving this love to as many people, and giving my life away, you become a joy to be around. And we're called to bear burdens, but the reason we can't often is because of pride. But those who have their identity in Christ, we've been set free to genuinely now care for people. And it takes Christ-centered humility for us to bear the burden of others. Here's a vocation that I think will bring you more satisfaction than if you ever become a millionaire 10 times over. Let me tell you what I think will bring you more joy in life than having all the money in the world. If you would develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to make those lighter. I promise you, your life will have more meaning and more joy if you would wake up every morning and go, God, what do you want to do through me? Who can I help? Who can I bless? Your life would be so full of the joy of the Lord. Not out of duty, but out of delight. Out of delight. Because there's, there's nothing worse than waking up and going, here's my problems, here's my stuff, here's my burdens, here's my... And all it does is it's just self-consuming. And you know what it is? More than anything, it's toxic. It's toxic. You notice the more you focus on yourself, the worse you get? The more you focus on yourself, the worse you get. And so the rule of the jungle comes in and he flips, he flips the script. He says, you know what? When you, when you lived for yourself, it was all about you. It was all about what you want. But now that you're surrendered to me, it's all about me. It's all about God and others. Joy. I heard it the greatest way I've ever heard joy put. Jesus, others, than you. That's joy. Jesus, others, and then you. How many of you know as parents, you put all of your own priorities on the back shelf for your kids? How many of you know that? I just went on vacation, okay? All right. It was not about me. It was all about my wife. It was all about my kids. It was all about getting up and taking care of them. How I many you know, as moms, that's what you do all day, every day. If you are consumed with doing things for your kids. And how I many you know, at times it becomes duty. At times, okay, I know. Don't judge me. All right, yet again. At times it becomes, but at the, at the end of the day, it's all from love. It all comes out of love. I do these things because of love. So we bear one another's burdens by helping people humbly. 
And then last question, we'll land this plane. How do we love the church? So how do we love the fallen? We restore them gently. How do we love the burdened? We help humbly. How do we love the church? We give generously. Galatians 6, look in verse 6. It says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap. If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, anytime the Bible says don't be deceived, you need to perk up. You need to listen in. You need to pay attention. Because what's going about to happen is the Bible is about to address an area where we have the tendency to believe something that's right when it's really wrong. So anytime you hear, when you, you hear this idea of don't be deceived, then you need, to, you need to perk up. And this is the deception that we have, that what we sow will not reap. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth. I want to give you three things with this, and we'll wrap this up when it comes to sowing and reaping. First is this. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It is the law of great returns. This is a law that is uh, from the beginning of time. Whatever I sow, I will reap. And the principle of sowing and reaping applies to every area of life. This isn't just seed and agriculture. This isn't just money. This isn't probably most of the times you've heard it in those regards. You've heard it about money or things. It's not about all that. This applies to every area of our life. Whatever I plant, I am going to reap. So if you sow criticism, you will get criticism back. If, if you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow an apple tree, I don't get a pear tree. I get an apple tree. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It's going to happen. You will reap it. And how many of you know when it comes to the agriculture side, farmers can't fake it? Like a farmer, you, you know, you, you talk to the farmer at the beginning of the year, man, how much did you plant this year? Dude, I planted like 900 acres. Man, man, that's awesome, dude. And then here comes harvest time, and he's got one acre. And what do you think in the back of your mind? He didn't plant. He lied. He didn't plant. Because what he planted, he reaped. And whatever you plant, you will reap. Your, your life and my life is a sum total of everything that we've planted. Let me, let me put it this way. Most Christians want to be godly but they don't want to do the work it takes to become godly. Most, most people want good behaving kids, but they don't want to do the work of parenting. Most people want to make a lot of money, but they don't want to work. Okay, so what you plant, you'll reap. The seeds you sow, you will reap. And you and I are sitting in here today. Now listen to me when I say this. Your life right now, you are where you are today because of what you've sown in your life. Now, I don't doubt that there have been things that have gone against you, 
There have been people that have hurt you. There's things that have been bad. But, but I say this all the time. You are your worst enemy. No one has brought more misery in your life than you have. And you and I are the byproducts of the seeds that we've planted in our life. And so if you have sown gossip and criticism and all that, don't be surprised when everybody does that back to you. When you sow hate, you get hate. Y'all with me? It is the, it is the law of great returns. Whatever you sow, you will get. It's, uh, I, took, I took Spanish uh, my, for three years in high school. Como se llama? Me llama es Jose. Donde el baño? That's about as far as it gets, okay? That's where's the bathroom, okay, if you don't know that. Um, you got to know the essentials, all right? <laughs> it, would be, it would be very unwise for me to think that because I took those three years and because I'm part Mexican, if you didn't know that I'm part Mexican as well, that I'm naturally going to speak Spanish. And so I'll go to, I'll go to you know, La Ramba or Los Pachiros here, and I'll try to order in Spanish, and they'll just look at me and laugh. And I don't even know what I'm asking for. I'm just, you know, I'm trying things out here. But how many know, like, if you want to get fluent in Spanish, you've got to work at it. You've got to get around it. You've got to get in the culture. You've got to study, okay? You've got to do some deep Rosetta Stone work, okay? You've got to get in it. That's what you've got to do. Because if I plant those seeds, then I'll, I'll get the return of of that. And most people, when it comes to Christianity and it comes to loving God and having more faith, we, we want like a silver bullet. We think like this, we're just going to get this one sermon and then all of a sudden I'm going to pray more and I'm no, I'm no, no longer going to struggle and I'm going to read more and I'm going to love better and I'm going to like somehow it's just going to just like, whoop blam! And I'm going to wake up the next day and just be like, I love Jesus! You know, it's, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to work at it. You've got to sow the seeds for it. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest. It's the sowing. And what you sow is what you reap. And so we need to sow constantly. Number uh, B is this. You always reap more than you sow. Small seeds become big trees. Small seeds become big trees. Let me show you how this works. I'm, I'm even, let's talk about prayer and, and devotions and spending time with Jesus. If you were to spend time with Jesus 15 minutes a day. Now, how many of you will say 15 minutes is not a long time? How many of you say 15 minutes is not a long time unless you're doing a CrossFit wad? Right, Kayla? That's crazy. 15 minutes is intense. But if you were to spend time with Jesus, let's just, 15 minutes. Half of a sitcom. Watch this. For 15 minutes a day, 365 days a year, that's 5,475 minutes. That's 91 and a half hours. That's four days. Four days of spending time with Jesus. See, when you sow a thought, you reap an action. When you sow an action, you reap a habit. When you sow a habit, you reap character. And when you sow character, you reap life. You reap life. Today, you and I are sitting in this room because other people sowed seed of sacrifice. Right now, uh, 
across 15 minutes into Crowley. As many of you know, last year we launched out of our campus, we launched a new campus in Crowley. And, and probably this morning they're going to have anywhere from 130 to 180 people at our Crowley campus. And they have like, I don't know, 20 people or so getting baptized today. How many of you know you sowed seed in that and now we're reaping the harvest of what, that, of what we sown in there. We sowed people. We sowed money. We sowed time. Eunice is the same way. We sowed people. We sowed money. We sowed time. And the reaping of that was lives changed. Lives changed. You know, I'm here today because I, I had a grandfather who was a godly, God-fearing man, one of the most generous men I know on the planet. Literally, every time he could pay for somebody's meal, he was paying for it. So I loved being around him. <laughs> I was a grandkid, though, so he paid for me anyways. But, like, literally, we would walk out of restaurants, and he would see somebody that, like, didn't have any clothes, and he would just take his jacket off and go, hey, here you go. Like the most generous dude I have ever met in my life. It was sad. I lost him at 13 to a massive heart attack, and I so wish he was here. But the most generous man I I know loved Jesus, loved his wife, loved his grandkids. He sowed seeds into our lives, sowed seeds into, into my parents. He sowed seeds into so many other people. And when we did his funeral, you just saw the mass loads of people that came just to celebrate all that he had done in their life. And, and I'm even excited to say, like, there's five grandchildren in our family, and all of them are in f- some form of ministry at now loving Jesus. And I know that that's because I had grandparents who just continually just sow seed, sow seed, sowed seed, sowed seed into our lives. I'm reaping from what he sowed. My boys are reaping from what he sowed, and other people are reaping from what he sowed, which leads me to my last point. And this is never stop sowing. Never stop sowing. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me tell you, when I read this this, ver- this week, this is what God told me. Not seeing is not the same as not working. Listen to me. Not seeing is not the same as not working. Because I know right now, as I was sharing about this, some of you are going, well, I've done this, 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 and this, and I haven't seen nothing. I've done this, and I've prayed for my husband, and he's still far from God, and I've done this, and y'all with me? And Paul knew that. And he told us, in due season, in due season we will reap. If, if you don't give up, if you don't give up, if you don't give up. So can I close this out and tell you this? Listen, parents, listen. Keep bringing your kids to church. Keep bringing your kids to church. Keep bringing your kids to church. I got to drag them. I don't care. Get them to church. Get them here. Get them plugged in. Do whatever you can because in due season, that will take root. That will take root. To the wife that's in here, keep praying for your husband. Keep praying for your husband. Keep praying for your husband. Keep loving your husband. Keep serving your husband. Keep pointing him to Jesus. Keep pointing him to Jesus. Keep pointing him to Jesus. And in due season, in due season, in due season, we pray that they'll turn their hearts to the Lord. 
Keep trusting Jesus despite what the doctors say. Keep trusting Jesus despite what the doctors say. Keep trusting Jesus despite what the doctors say. I have to remind myself this. Keep trusting Jesus despite what the doctors say because in due season, Jesus is faithful. Keep giving. Keep tithing. Keep giving. Keep tithing. God is faithful. In due season, he is Keep doing it. Keep sowing. Some of you are where you are because you stopped sowing. You stopped sowing for your family. You stopped sowing for your kids. You stopped sowing for that wayward son. You stopped sowing for whatever it was, but you just stopped and you gave up. And this says, don't give up. This idea is actually not about giving up when it comes to agriculture. It's actually the idea, Paul took this from uh, another part of passage when he talks about labor. Now, how many of you know nine months is a long time to have a baby up inside of you? And this is, I don't know from experience, but I'm just from what I heard <laughs> and from what I've seen. And Paul is saying this, Paul, Paul, Paul literally is saying this. When you get to the nine-month mark and it's like, I can't take it anymore. I'm ready to have this thing out of me. Don't give up. You're so close. Don't give up. You're so close. Don't give up. You're so close. Because in any minute now, this baby's going to break through and your heart is going to be over flowed with love and joy for what you have. And there are some people in here, your dream has died because you gave up. And I'm telling you right now, don't give up. Don't stop sowing. Don't stop seeding. Keep doing that. Keep doing what you're doing. God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. His timing is not your timing. And even though you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not working. And I believe that there's some of you that are sowing seeds that you'll never see the fruit of, but other people will. And my grandfather today, I am where I am today because of what he sowed, and he didn't get to see this. And so there's a lot of times when you're planting seed, you're planting seed, planting seed, believing for a prodigal son, believing for a prodigal husband, believing for your finances, believing for whatever it is. And I'm saying this, if you have a need, continue to plant a seed, continue to plant seeds. If your kids don't know Jesus, go and continue to, to, to love them, continue to serve them, continue to bring them to church. Y'all with me here? We got to keep seeding. We got to keep sowing because you're only going to reap what you sow. So we want to sow faith, love, hope, joy into people. So we're going to restore gently, help humbly, and give generously. I pray that this would be a church who does all of those and does all of those well. But listen, God never calls you to do something that you can only do on your own. So some of you walk out of here and go, I'm just going to try to do it more. I'm going I'm to help more people. and I'm gonna... No, no, no. You'll burn out in a week. <laughs> you will. If it's under your own strength, you'll burn out a week. But there's nothing that God calls you to do that he doesn't give the power and the spirit to help you with. And so my prayer for you is that the spirit of God would continue to fuel this in you and he would help you to be more generous, to be more loving, to be more helpful. Amen.